0: Show you hey folks, Jack Spierko here with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas. Today with episode 507, it is a Thursday, September the 9th, 2010. And we're going to do a little bit different of a show today. I don't do a lot of current events stuff, but every once in a while we got to kind of, what I call, pull our heads up and, and take a look around and see what's going on out there. Um, we're going to look at a bunch of things going on today. We're going to look at things that happened right in my backyard yesterday. Flooding, tornadoes uh, from the remains of uh, Tropical Storm Hermine. Uh, we're going to look at things that the Secretary of State is saying, Hillary Clinton, who I'm not a huge fan of, but... In both cases, she ain't wrong. And a lot of other things that are going on out there. We're going to look at the UN preparing for food riots, wildfires in Colorado, two asteroids that came inside the moon's orbit yesterday a couple hours apart, and a bunch of other things, things that just remind us why we need to prep. And I'll even throw in some good news, like the potential for this fall for Obamacare to be dismantled. Uh, and uh, a scientist that tells us not to get all our pants in a wad over this uh, solar storm predicted in 2012-2013, that he basically says it's all rubbish. So we'll give you some good news mixed in with this. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of stuff that's troubling today. And that's because we live in a troubling world, and it's part of why we prepare. And each one of these has a million permutations that come off it. And I know you can get a lot of this information from the news, so I'll try to bring it to you with a modern survivalist perspective. So that we can look at what it actually means to us. Or when it doesn't mean anything to us. When it doesn't really matter to us. You know, let's look at it that way as well. Before we do that though, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is the Berkey guy with Berkey Light Water Filtration Systems. Folks, one thing you need to survive is water. And I don't really feel safe drinking the water that comes out of the tap. That's why I'm looking forward to not having to worry about filtering my water anymore when I move up to... Uh, my place in Arkansas, and I can drink some of the most incredibly rich mineral water in the world. Uh, until then, I will filter the water that comes out of my tap. Berkey light water filters give you a way to do that. They also give you a way to make that water clean in a crisis situation. So check out the Berkey guy. You'll find him at www.directive21.com. And, of course, you can find his banner at the survivalpodcast.com. And That's probably the best thing you can always do to find one of our sponsors is go to our site first. Next up today, Backyard Food Production, Marjorie down there south of Austin. That's as specific as we get with her location. Um, I'll tell you what, if you don't own her DVD yet, my only question to you is why not? It's $24, and it will change the way you look at producing your own food. Anything from a small backyard to a small farm, she's got systems that you can use to better uh, provide yourself with your own food. It's one of the most informative DVDs I've ever seen. I've watched it multiple times. And and to be honest, I've mean, i bought stuff from the Permaculture Institute by Jeff Lawton. And they're great DVDs, but I've watched them once or twice. And I just never really felt compelled to watch them again. Uh, Marjorie's I feel compelled to watch again. It doesn't have the production value that something like something from the Permaculture Institute does with all this wonderful music and scene transfers and everything. But it's so information-rich that you forget what you learned. So check that DVD out. Um, I also want to remind you guys, check out our gear shop. Our gear shop has shirts, hats, all kinds of cool stuff, some really cool cool mugs and beer mugs and things like that uh, to show your affiliation with the Survival Podcast, and we appreciate your support there. Next, I want to remind you, I have slated for show number 550 to be a special show, uh, like our one-year anniversary show was, where you call in 866-65-THINK. I'm going to ask you there's uh, as a favor. If if the survival podcast has touched your life, please call that number, leave a one to two minute message. Telling us how you've changed your life since you began listening to the Survival Podcast. You can listen to our one-year anniversary show uh, to get an idea of what other people said a year ago. We were going to do this with episode 500. A million things happened. Didn't have enough call-ins. And if you called in prior to episode 500, call in again uh, because I want to make sure that all this stuff is consolidated to one point when we go through to screen the calls. But I need a lot of calls to make a full hour show that's just you instead of a full hour show that's me talking about you. That's what this is really all about. So again. Listen to the one-year anniversary show if you haven't yet. Call in. Tell us what the Survival Podcast is meant to you. And if you called in the first year and you've made changes since then, do not hesitate to call in and be part of the second special show like that. Last but not least, consider joining the MSB. That's the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. 20 videos by me for download that are available nowhere else. You get about $100 worth of eBooks that are free as part of your membership. You get discounts to over 20 vendors. It's a great return of investment. Check out the Member Support Brigade. More information at the Survival Podcast Podcast.com, and you'll be supporting the show at a whopping 20 cents an episode. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Um, as I you know, put this show together, the, the thing was I decided that I really wanted to talk about Tropical Storm Hermine and what it meant for us. And what it meant for me personally was I was a spectator. I mean, we were under no danger and no threat at any time because the tornadoes that kicked up War to our east, and because where our home is located we 're on a hill, I actually did have a little river in my backyard, but it 's about a ten to fifteen foot drop in elevation between my house and that draw in the back of my yard so there 's no real worries about uh, flooding up here at my house. My house floods the entire city 's underwater basically i 'm at one of the highest little elevation points in uh, the southern Arlington area. And I wanted to tell you about it. I wanted to tell you about my experiences watching television. I realized it would be a pretty decent-sized segment, so maybe I should do the entire show on what's going on out there right now. Because we had a lot of crap happen this week. We have a lot of things going on, man. And uh, things that we need to be aware of as people that are concerned with our future. I'm not going to lead with the Hermine story, though. I'm going to lead with something that I found out this morning uh, on the television set that doesn't surprise me, but it concerns me. Um... The United States was just ranked number four in a competitive rankings report out of the European Union. And it is a European report, so we need to temper that. But what's written in the report isn't wrong. Let me give you the top ten in this report in order. Number one, Switzerland. Number two, Sweden. Number three, Singapore. Number four, the United States. Number five, Germany. Number six, Japan. Number seven, Finland. Number eight, the Netherlands. Number nine, Denmark. And number ten, Canada. Like I said, I really am not totally sold on this report because remember this is a European report, and listen to the the, the nations that it lists: Switzerland, Sweden, uh, Switzerland, Sweden, Germany, Finland, the Netherlands, and Denmark. So six of the top ten are European nations. But can we say those nations aren't more competitive than us right now? I'm not really sure. There's a lot of reasons given for why the United States falls in this report. One is that our people no longer trust our government. And, of course, this report's out of Europe. The land of the government can do all things. And, of course, they see that as a negative. I actually see that as a very positive um thing right now that our people don't trust our government. Because our government is running rampant. And maybe if we don't trust our government for long enough, maybe we'll all get off our asses and instead of having this little Tea Party movement that gets, you know, hijacked by a little bit at least a little bit more conservative version of the Republicans, we'll actually get pissed. And maybe we'll actually get off our asses in like March when most of the primaries are being run, and in the summertime when the primaries are being run, instead of letting the party dictate to us who we get to vote for in November, maybe we'll say, you know what, there's not that many of you people that do this. Maybe we'll get off our asses and go out there and start putting some people in our next door neighbor's house into government. You know? Maybe we'll take it back. Maybe we'll wake up. Maybe our people will finally understand how much power the Congress has. You know, if we focus on the Congress, if we can take two thirds of the Congress back with the sane, rational people that want to fix America, we can actually do everything. It won't matter who the president is. I'll talk about that a little bit later with another story that's going on. It won't matter what the Senate's doing. It really won't. If the Congress controls the purse strings, the Congress controls the nation. He who controls the money controls all. The wealthy understand that. Let's talk about some other things that have gone on in. Uh, in this report as well, uh, the, the People's Republic of China is uh, number twenty-seven, but it actually continues to lead the way in large developing economies, and it moved up uh, quite a few positions. Uh, India is fifty-first, Brazil fifty-eighth, Russia sixty-third, and they're remaining stable. Several Asian economies performed strongly, with Japan six, Hong Kong eleven. Also in the top 20 in Latin America, Chile is uh, 30th, uh, highest, the highest ranked country in Latin America, followed by Panama, which is the 53rd, Costa Rica, which is the 56th. This is really about how competitive the nation If you were a business and you wanted to open up a business in a nation and compete globally, which nations would be the best nations to open up a business in? Again... I don't want to put too much weight on this saying that Singapore is that much greater a place to open a business today than the United States, but in some ways it definitely is. You guys could pick this report apart, I will put it, a link to it in the show notes and all these stories today uh, for you, but uh, I think if you pick it apart you'll see there's a lot of fact in it, and you'll realize that... There actually was another report I was unable to find that I heard mentioned on Fox News today that was done by business analysts, actually, you know, people that actually want to open businesses, and we, f- we fared far worse in their report due to things like taxation and fees and costs and regulation. Uh, somewhere down in below 50. I don't remember what the number is, so I don't want to say it, but I know it was worse than 50. Uh, let's move on to another one, though. Um, Hillary Clinton, who is not my favorite place person in the world, as I've already admitted, uh, but actually sometimes speaks some sanity uh came out and said something that I mean we need to take this seriously. we need to not downbeat it. we need to not worry about the fact that she did assign some blame of course to the prior by not even by name that she just kind of inferred some blame to the prior administration here. The problem is the problem now, and that 's her words and, and um she 's not wrong here 's the uh here 's the headline and this is uh On World Daily, but it's all over the place. It's in every news source you can find today. Cabinet member hits alarm over Obama's colossal debt. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and the U.S. Military Joint Command. So Hillary Clinton and the U.S. Military Joint Command are now in sync with each other. And they're both on record that rising levels of U.S. national debt pose a security risk, a national security threat. The message to the Commander-in-Chief now from both the Secretary of State and the U.S. Joint Military Command appears to have been delivered loud and clear. Uh, U.S. federal budget deficits measured in the trillions of dollars make Americans less safe by threats posed to foreign enemies." Um, And then the Joint Chiefs, you know, the Joint Command brought up a few historical examples. One was Habsburg, Spain, defaulted on its debt 14 times in 150 years uh, and was staggered by high inflation until its overseas empire collapsed. Bourbon, France became so beset by debt due to its many wars and extravagances that by 1788 the contributing social stresses resulted in an overthrow by revolution. Um, interest ate up 44% of the British government budget. That's important that we think of that one because that's what's killing us right now. Our debt is more about the interest on the debt than the debt itself right now. Our interest payments on our debt are, you know, it's like being in a credit card situation where you make a credit card payment, 90% is interest. That's what we're doing right now with our national debt when we make payments on it. Interest ate up forty-four percent of the British government budget during the interwar years between 1919 and 1930, inhibiting its ability to rearm against Germany. So while Germany was rearming, Britain was not, and that's why they weren't suited to fight the war on their own. They didn't have the resources to pull it off. Um, Kind of wrapping it up, it's it the the headline here toward the bottom is unsustainable. With the U.S. national debt topping thirteen point four five trillion this month. And U.S. gross domestic product, uh, product forecast to be 14.6 trillion in 2010. The U.S. debt to GDP ratio is at 92 percent. We only produce 92 percent, or we produce our debt equals 92 percent of our production at this point. Okay, let me let me break that down for you. That's like you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, okay and you owe $92,000 in debt and your debt is cr- climbing upwards from there. You got I mean you really have to think about that. The US debt to GDP ratio historically only exceeded 100% once in the years immediately following World War II. Um, studying the growth in three major entitlement programs, and you're going to keep coming back, Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, the report entitled Choosing the Nation's Fiscal Future concluded that spending was far outpacing tax revenues such that any effort to rein in future deficits must entail either large increases in taxes to support these programs or major restraints on their growth. Some say a combination of the two. In other words, what they're saying is the only way we can fix this is we either got to raise taxes or cut spending. And that our spending, as much as we're spending on crap, it's entitlement spending that's doing the worst damage. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. And we look at Social Security, and that program should not be in the situation that it is, but the program's been robbed. Medicare and Medicaid are completely unsustainable. Social Security is really unsustainable. It didn't have to be, but it's become unsustainable. Uh, Social Security has become a... Complete disaster. And it's because it's it's tried to be a way for people to live in retirement versus a supplement to their living in retirement. And it can't do that. It just can't. And it, People's money has been, has been robbed and looted. But the big thing here is you have a Secretary of State appointed by the President telling a sitting President your spending is putting the nation at risk, security-wise. It may have happened before. I don't know of it. And you, it's either Hillary Clinton doing something for the right reason, or Hillary Clinton posturing to separate herself from this administration for a future second run at the White House, which is, I think it's a little bit of both, because she ain't wrong. Um, on Clinton's speech, and not being wrong, uh, she also made another recent speech where she ain't wrong again, Uh Hillary Clinton has compared Mexico to Colombia 20 years ago, and I think she's being taken out of context on that one. What she actually says is Mexico is on pace to become what Colombia was 20 years ago. In other words, they're not already there, but they're on their way there. And of course Mexico says, ah, psh, come on, it's, it's not that big a deal. She also compared the actions that are going on in Mexico to an insurgency. And, of course, Mexico said, ah, come on. And, of course, what happened this week? Another one of their mayors was gunned down by the cartel. Now, you can dislike Hillary Clinton all you want. I'm Again, I'm not a fan at all in any way, shape, or form. But when you have elected officials being gunned down in public by an opposition... That is an insurgency. She's not wrong. She said a lot of other things in this speech about stuff that's going on in the world. But this one hit the closest to home for me because the more Mexico breaks down and the more violence that spreads across the Texas, Arizona, and California borders, the further this will seep into our nation, the greater we're at risk eventually For a refugee problem, instead of an an illegal immigration program, not undocumented workers, are we going to start calling drug dealers? I mean, I I saw this recently and I thought, you know, that's exactly right. We start calling drug dealers undocumented pharmacists, right? What if we start calling people that break into your home, uh, undocumented redecoration specialists, right? So, illegal immigration will be nothing compared to a mass of refugees spilling across the border, which is what is, we're we're on the precipice of this. The only reason a mass of refugees didn't spill out of Colombia into Panama is because there's no road that connects Panama to Colombia. It ends in a swamp on both sides. We have a real potential here for a complete disaster, a complete meltdown on the Mexican border. And you can be on either side of the immigration debate. This is not about the immigration debate. This is about drug cartels that are in complete control of parts of Mexico right now. And expanding that control. And wherever they're opposed, instead of moving or hiding, they're emboldened and they're killing their opposition. This is dangerous. This is something that we don't freak out about and go hide in the hills for tomorrow, but we pay attention tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We really have to understand the potential for disaster in Mexico, to understand the potential for disaster in the United States as well. A lot of these same problems are coming to the United States. We have to also understand the root of this problem, because we need to start looking at unintended consequences for the future. What if I told you that a law about non-prescription medication was chiefly responsible for the rise in drug cartel activity and profitability in Mexico. You would probably think, I'm crazy. But a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, five, six years ago, um, the United States decided to do a crackdown on meth labs in the United States. And the way they figured they would do that is cutting off the supply. You see, the meth heads were going to the store and buying lots of Sudafed and Actifed with Sudafedrine in it. And they were using that as the base to create methamphetamine. So they would cook it down with various other ingredients and expand the power of the Sudafed, uh, the pseudofedrine in these these substances because they couldn't get their hands on ephedrine. Because ephedrine had been made illegal at the same time. So ephedrine was not available. So the only thing you could do if you wanted pseudofed or acufed is go to the drugstore, ask for it from behind the counter, and they could sell you one box. You couldn't go in there and buy a case of it anymore. So you think well that's a good thing that shuts down drug production in the United States. Well all the drug production people had already set up distribution networks, right? They would produce the medica- they would produce the drugs, the undocumented pharmaceutical products, right? They would produce the undocumented pharmaceutical products and then they would distribute it through their network. So all they did is say, well, screw this, we can't produce anymore. They went to Mexican suppliers, said, you guys get the, the, the undocumented pharmaceuticals into the United States into our hands, we'll handle distribution, we'll be a middleman. We'll turn this into a multi-tiered versus a two-tiered distribution system. We'll put a third tier in the distribution channel. Like any business person would. If you told a person that was running a business in the United States, you can no longer manufacture that product in the United States, but you may distribute it in the United States, you may sell it in the United States, they would use their existing network and outsource, manufacture, and import. That's what happened. That's what's happened with drug manufacturing in Mexico. Most of the money going into Mexico today is not tied to cocaine, Or marijuana. There's a lot of that too, because if you're shipping one substance in, one undocumented pharmaceutical in, you might as well ship them all in. But it's meth and the huge profits that were immediately available that allowed these people to ramp up. Something to think about when we're making these decisions for what to do in the future. Next up, we have an article uh, from Trust Trut Hour. Uh, from Thursday, 9 September 2010, which is today, that says, is defaulting on the national debt on the table? I don't want to read the whole article to you but it's because it, it's rather long, but I really want to point out how stupid people are. Um, the upshot of this article, and I'll read just a portion of it to you, furthermore, The Federal Reserve Board can freely buy up more debt if investors did become more reluctant to hold government bonds at some point in the future. In ordinary times, this could create a problem with inflation. However, with the vast amounts of idle capacity and huge reservoir of unemployed workers, inflation clearly is not going to be a problem for the foreseeable future. Of course, there is no reason for the U.S. government to default on its debt. The country is having no difficulty whatsoever in issuing borrowing at the moment, with investors willing to take long-term loans at interest rates below 3%. So here's the upshot of this. Even though we have people in Congress and people in the Senate saying, hey, we may have to default on our own debt, and and we'll default with our own people first. Defaulting on our debt in this capacity means cutting payments to Social Security. That's what it means here. Cutting Social Security benefits. That would be a default on the debt, because here's the thing, folks. They owe you that money. You loaned it to them, and they owe it back to you. So even though we wouldn't be defaulting to our investors in Japan... We would be defaulting to our own people that we owe Social Security to. And this clown, he says, no worries about our debt because we can just keep borrowing more. These are the geniuses running our country. These are the geniuses setting our economic policy. There is no more cut and dry of a pile of crap that I've ever heard come out of an economist's mouth to say, hey, there's no reason to worry about defaulting on our debt, because we could just borrow more money. We have no trouble doing that. In fact, we don't even have to worry about screw inflation. You know how many people aren't working? This is wonderful. We can just print all the frickin' money we want, and we have no inflation worries, because we'll print the money, we'll use it to pay the old people, but nobody's working, so nobody's going to spend any money, because grandma's going to be living on freaking francs and beans. Right? And in some sad situations, maybe pet food. So we don't have to worry about inflation, so no worries. And if the people around the world decide they don't want to borrow borrow us money anymore, if people stop, if people recline on the the U.S. Treasury market, the bond market, which, of course, Peter Schiff says is about to happen, uh, it doesn't matter because the Fed can just buy our own debt. When the Fed buys our own debt, this is important, when the Fed buys our debt back to itself, we are literally, at that point, really printing money out of thin air. More than any other time. What that actually means is there's no buyer for the debt, so the Fed creates money to buy money with. It sounds It's almost impossible to understand that, because it defies reason. It would be like you saying, well, I'd like $50 million, please. And people say, we're not going to give it to you. And you write a little piece of paper that says $50 million on it, and you stick that in the machine, and it prints out $50 million in U.S. dollars. That's the Fed buying its own debt, because they don't have any money to buy it with. The money's all false, fake money they created in the first place. Our economy's in deep shit, folks. It really is. And we need to think about that, and we need to make good decisions about what we do for ourselves economically going forward. Of course, this is all man-made stuff I've been talking about up to now. Let's talk a little bit about Tropical Storm Hermine and what its remnants did. This thing came ashore, and it was really lackluster, and the national media didn't really want to talk about it much, because when it hit South Texas and Northern Mexico, it didn't really do a lot of damage. It didn't have any of that sensational stuff. There was nobody standing on a roof to take a picture of and blame somebody for, and it became uh, clear that it would come up through you know Central Texas, and as that happened, they said, well, there's going to be some flash flooding or whatnot, but once this thing gets over land, it's going to take the uh, power rate out of it. Well, it did take the power out of it as far as wind speeds, and it, it, it knocked it down to a tropical low, and what the taking the power out of it did was slow its speed of, of travel, and it moved very slowly across Texas, and it dropped 8 to 12 inches of rain in some locations, 8 inches in my backyard, overfilling my pool and flooding my draw at the bottom of my yard, also filling up a couple inches of water into the house that's right at the bottom of that drawer. There's a gentleman there that basically lives in a hole uh, that draw runs for, uh, several hundred yards back and it comes through my yard and it goes to his yard and his yard's kind of a depression. And I had suggested to this gentleman in the past that he might want to install a drainage system and he thought that was going to cost him more money than it was, you know, necessary. So he did install a drainage system. So yesterday, his Hispanic gentleman, he was over there cussing in Spanish and bailing water out of his house. He was also throwing it out the backside of the house where it was coming in, so I don't think that worked out very well for him, it's all dry now, but uh, you know, it's just about being prepared, so that was the full Monty that we got right here. Unfortunately for other people in our area, just a few miles away near Rush Creek, there were lives that were disrupted and homes that were literally ruined by flash flooding, that buried cars over the roof, uh, flooded homes uh, up several feet and once you have a home flooded, it pretty much ruins the home. Um, there were apartment complexes flooded. There were at least two, if not three, people killed by flash floods. That's a very sad thing. One gentleman was a guy everybody called Santa, uh, about forty-nine years old with a white beard. That was a real good guy. Real, real, real uh, proud to be a Texan. Uh they were talking about him on the news, real nice to the kids in the neighborhood, and he was driving his truck and a flash flood got his truck and he was stranded. His truck rescuers were trying to get it, getting to him. They could hear him calling for help, uh but they could not get to him and he the last thing they heard him say is I'm losing my grip. He was torn from his vehicle and after the waters began to recede, they found his body lifeless about 200 yards down from where uh his vehicle had been stranded. Flash floods are dangerous. And we have a tendency in our arrogance with storms to say, if it's not ice, and it's not a blizzard, and it's not wind, and it's not a tornado, that it's not life-threatening. Well, there's more people killed by flooding than any other natural event in the United States every year. If flooding is going on in your area, you need to use common sense. There was another lady on TV, and I just thought, what a pea brain. I felt bad for her, but I also thought she had a pea for a brain. Uh, the floodwaters were rising. She drove home to her house, parked her car at the edge of the water where it wouldn't be underwater, and went into her house. Uh, After she went into her house, her house then flooded, she got stuck and the rescuers had to get her out and her car was destroyed because her car was also flooded up over the roof. Now all she had to do was see the water rising, accept the fact that the home was gonna be damaged instead of going into the home and keep her car at least she would have had her car. She lost both. She's lucky not she's not to be dead. Uh, they had to rescue people off of apartment building roofs, uh, including people with dogs so there's a there's a video somewhere of a fireman carrying a Siberian husky across one of the ladders. They put the ladder out like a bridge and uh, but the waters are receding, and people will fix things and rebuild once that was over, the main rain had passed through the tail of the storm came through the Dallas area, and I watched something yesterday that I've never seen before, and I doubt many other people have ever been able to watch before. We watch two uh, supercell storms develop, being followed by helicopters and storm chasers with camera angles from all different angles. And we watched those two storms of only a few miles apart from each other on a similar track. One going through the Siegelville area of eastern, uh, eastern Dallas County, uh, and into Kaufman County and one going right through Dallas County, right through downtown Dallas following the tollway upward, spawn multiple tornado vortex. Um, we would watch, we watched this live on TV from about five to six thirty. Uh, my wife and I sat just Grateful it wasn't us and hoping that other people weren't killed. A couple people do appear to have lost their lives in these storms. Uh, I think two was the number I heard, which we're we're grateful that's, that's what it was. But we watched these tornadoes slowly form. We watched the funnel clouds drop down. We watched them spin up. We watched them toss debris, blow transformers and electrical lines, and then just dissipate and go back up into the cloud and do it again. And do it again, and do it again. In one storm, we must have seen seven touchdowns in a period of about 45 minutes, and then we saw multiple touchdowns on the Dallas tornado. Uh, one time I saw where I just felt like these people you know, were so blessed is I, it was the tornado was really kicking up heavy uh, on the Siegelville tornado, and it was just tearing up this street, but it was like a business district. And it was headed right toward, you could see, like, it's going through, like, then it started going through, like, trees and all. It was, like, an open space where there was no people, and you're like, okay, at least. And then you see a huge subdivision, and this thing is headed right for that subdivision. And you're thinking, oh, no, God, please, no. And almost miraculously, just as it got toward that subdivision, it retracted back up into the cloud, passed over that subdivision, and then spun up another tornado in a less populated area. And it had to be terrifying if you were one of the people in those homes, because I'm sure you could hear it coming, and you could hear it overhead, and you could hear it come back down. Uh, It did do an awful lot of damage. I'll put a link to one of the stories on it. I'll try to find some links also to put in today's show notes of some of the floodwaters. There's lots of video of these tornadoes. I mean, a lot of them and uh, it's educational to see how these things form, to look at the cloud and go, I don't really see, a, oh, well, there it's starting maybe kind of, no, oh, there it is, and the way they, they touch it down so quickly, and it was a combination of the moist air coming up from the Gulf and the tropical storm and the extremely dry Texas air this time of year uh, coming out of our desert west that caused this outbreak, and what was interesting is, how this went on for about an hour and a half, that these two storms, and then they just kind of dissipated as they went further north, and they didn't keep taking their destruction with them. But here was a mundane storm like Tropical Storm Hermine that never really got that powerful, and it did its most damage, I would say, almost 800 miles after it made landfall. We do need to understand that nature is in control more than we are, and we need to be prepared. Um... Kind of a somber thing to think about how people have actually died in this thing and the damage it's done. But I would be lying if I said I wasn't fascinated watching these tornadoes form. And uh, one of the links I'll put, there's a video from a gentleman that took a video with a cell phone camera of the tornado that was going right through the middle of uptown Dallas. And uh, he's yelling, woo, woo, he's an Hispanic guy. you know. He's like, woo, and they're talking in Spanish and they're all excited. He's like, that's going somewhere like a quarter mile away, man. It's going right down Mockingbird. And, you know, I like seeing the video, but this guy's an idiot. I mean, there was no way he really knew what direction that tornado was taking. This guy wasn't a a trained spotter or storm chaser. And I really encourage you guys, if you end up in a situation like this, take cover. Don't go out taking pictures. We all want to see the pictures. We all want to see the video. We're all fascinated by it. But we have, you know, cameras that that are on helicopters that can move around the storms. We have professional chasers. We have cameras throughout our cities that can be, you know, f- focused and, and and taken off of towers. Now, you don't need to put your life in harm's way for a picture of a tornado. It might be, you know, your phone might not even be able to play the picture when they find it in the rubble, uh, like some of these other people that lost their lives. So please take these things seriously. Uh, let's go on to another story uh, that, that also happened uh, in the last couple of days. So this one's good news if you're opposed to the uh, Obamacare health care uh, law that passed. You might think that we're in a situation where we're stuck with this monstrosity now. There's nothing that can be done about it. And... I don't want to be too political here. Anybody who listens to this show knows that I'm opposed to big government programs that are supposed to solve problems because they always create more problems than they solve. And and we're at a point now where, even if it's a good idea, we we just can't afford it. Um, But I want to talk about this more from a understanding of government and civics and how it works. And how you know when you're being lied to. So it doesn't really matter where you are on this issue. Here's uh, this article is called Putting the Brakes on Obamacare, and of course they have a picture of Sarah Palin on it, even though she's not the one that's really done anything here. Um, the guy that has the best opportunity to do something with this is a gentleman named John Boehner, and I'm not campaigning for this guy or anything, I'm just telling you there's a real possibility, in fact it's almost a foregone conclusion, it's almost been conceded by President Obama himself, that the Republicans are going to take over the House. And John Boehner is probably the the, the preferred person by the Republican Party, the party itself, because we don't elect the Speaker of the House, obviously. The, the, the winning party does to become Speaker of the House. And John Boehner has basically said, if I get in as Speaker of the House, and when the Republicans get a majority in the Congress, we will defund this thing. We'll take away money. And let's see you run Obamacare without the money. There's a lot of other things here. There's dismantling. There, there's 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 uh, de- there's you know uh, delaying it. There's disapproving regulations. There's a uh, you know direct oversight investigation of it. A lot of ideas here for what the Congress can do under Republican control. But this is the one that we need to understand. So when the Democrats took over. In 2006. Over the Congress. I don't think people understand this. So the Democrats have been in control. Not since 2008. Since 2006. They took the Senate and the House in 2006. Anything George Bush wanted to do from that point forward. He had to do with the approval of a Democratic majority. In both the House and the Senate. And that majority of course became greater in 2008. Which means everything that's been done from 2008 forward Has been done by Democrats. Again. I'm not saying Republicans are great either. I'm just, this is the facts. And we need to stick to the facts. When the Democrats said, we want to end this war in Iraq, and it doesn't end until 2011, really, there's 50,000 troops still there, despite the fanfare and the credit being given to Obama by the media for this thing. This was Bush's timeline. It's always been Bush's timeline. It was announced in September of 2008. And, of course, the Democrats said, well, we'll get rid of this thing. We'll just fight the noble war in Afghanistan. And And then they they, 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 they said, well, we can't, we can't, we can't. All the Democrats had to do was defund the war. And they could have ended it like that. I'm not saying they should have or shouldn't have. I'm just saying, when they say they're going to do something, and then they blame somebody else for not being able to do it, once they have a majority, especially a commanding majority, they can defund any initiative. That's what Boehner's saying here. And I, it's not happened for a very long time, and I like it, regardless of where you are politically on this issue, because it's the Congress admitting that it has this power. And if it admits it has this power, it becomes common knowledge that it has this power, the lie, and this is why they haven't wanted to do it, the lie that we can't do it because of somebody else starts to crumble. So we don't have to repeal this, we just have to defund it. There was a new poll out today that said 54% of Americans favor the elimination of Obamacare. And only 34% fully oppose that. And there's like kind of a middle ground in there of people that aren't sure. They don't know. I mean, maybe there's some way we could fix it or, or, or what have you. But there's not a lot of popular support for this thing right now. There really isn't. And this is a good understanding of how the government functions and where powers actually lie. And this is something that our people have forgotten. So again, this isn't about where you are on the issue. This is about understanding the mechanism of government from a civic standpoint and the power that Congress really has. Something we need to uh, to know. Let's go totally out of politics unless you want to try to make everything about politics. What if I told you that yesterday... Just a couple hours apart from each other, two asteroids passed the Earth closer to our planet than the Moon. That actually did happen. I wanted to mention it yesterday, but I forgot to do so with all the things I had to cover yesterday. Um, Two large asteroids narrowly miss Earth, NASA said. Two large asteroids have narrowly avoided the Earth after the objects passed within the Moon and our planet's orbit, NASA scientists say. Two objects were only were, were only identified at the weekend by NASA-funded Catalina Sky Survey in New Tucson, Arizona, during a routine sky scan. The first asteroid, christened 2010 RX30, was about 65 feet or 20 meters in diameter and flew past at a distance of 154,000 miles early at 9:51 a.m. on Wednesday. The second, called 2010 RF-12, was roughly two-thirds the size of its big brother, estimated to pass within 49,088 miles of Earth an hour later. That's 50,000 miles. Both of these were visible by small, amateur telescope, if you knew where to look for them. Now, you know, we have all these movies like Deep Impact, and uh, I can't remember the other one with Bruce Willis in it, or what have you, but... We have all these movies about comets and giant asteroids destroying the Earth. Now, neither one of these, you know, a 20-meter a asteroid is not capable of destroying the Earth. But a 20-meter asteroid it follows the same rules in orbit and, and travel that, let's say, something that's many tons follows. And then the other thing we have to realize is, if we get hit, A direct hit by a solid object. And these are asteroids, so most likely they're containing large amounts of of substances like iron. So they're very solid, have a, a real potential to get through the atmosphere. 20 meters in diameter is pretty damn big. You know? It really is. You gotta go, you know, look at an average above ground swimming pool, about 20 feet in diameter, and then turn that into kind of a somewhat spherical shaped object. That's pretty big, right? If that gets through, it's not just like somebody took a rock that big a couple thousand feet up in the air and drops it. The momentum and speed and energy it transfers, if that had hit, let's say, a major city, it could basically level the downtown area of a major city. And, of course, there are bigger objects out there. Um, The big news is that it was two that came so quickly from each other. Uh, There's also... A asteroid called Apophis that is a 25 million ton celestial body that will narrowly miss our planet three times in succession over the next few decades. Um, there is a, like a one percent chance this thing could get turned and end up hi- impacting our planet. The big thing is the upshot of this article is, hey, we don't really know how many of them are out there. We're tracking like 50 thousand of them, but you know, there's there's just Buku's of them out there. And these two little ones, we didn't see them until you know a week before they came through. We didn't even know they were there because they're little ones. I'm just saying asteroid comet impact, we call low probability events. And because of that, they get pushed to the back of people's minds. But they're not no probability events. And they're high impact events. There was an asteroid that did an airburst over Siberia that wiped out hundreds of square miles of forest, fortunately, in an uninhabited area. What if something like that happened today, let's say, over the northeastern United States, uh, or over the highly populated areas of the United Kingdom, or Europe, or Japan, or any other major economic center, besides the death toll, and the loss of life. What about the disruption in commerce and the, the the economic systems throughout the world? What kind of ripple could that create? And what if it's a little bit bigger than that? And we have of course, you know, the possibility of extinction level events from these celestial bodies. I don't focus on that because if that happens, we're done. Okay? If we toast the earth in a fireball, we're done. It's the ones that leave us behind in a bad way that I worry about. I don't worry about them all the time. I don't worry about them as much as I do the ash clouds destroying our economy or a potential pandemic, but they're still there. They still need to be thought about. These two near misses a couple hours apart, something we need to think about. Just kind of a warning shot, I would call it. Uh, the next thing that went on yesterday, I don't want to, like, just focus on my backyard with Hermine. There were some other disasters going on not that far away. In Colorado, over 135 homes are destroyed. In the uh, nil Canyon Fire near Boulder, and the blaze is only ten percent contained as the time of this report. Four people are missing, and at least seventy-one hundred acres are burned. Some thirty-five hundred people are out of their homes, but people in five subdivisions can return today. So, forest fires are another thing that can cause untold damage and something we need to be prepared for. And you don't have to have a forest to have fire danger. About Seven years ago, I guess it was, we had grass fires raging throughout West Texas and into the Dallas area, and there were places where the fire came through with such a firestorm, and it's so fast, and with such a wave, that there were pictures of like this fire passed through and burned holes through telephone poles, where two telephone poles on a long strand were not burned, and it came through the center, and it burned a third pole in the center, and it looked like somebody had taken a giant blowtorch And the pole was literally hanging, suspended by the wires, and completely burned through. Do you know what it takes to burn through a creosote-soaked telegraph pole? It ain't easy. And it burned through it like a hot torch through thin steel. So wherever you live, if it's not rainy and it's dry, there's a potential for fire. I guess some of the desert environments, there's just not that much to burn. But for most of us throughout suburbia, this is a real risk. It's something else that we need to be prepared for. And I just wanted to point out that there were people uh, whose lives were destroyed by yet another natural disaster on the exact same day that most of the country was focused on our area here in North Texas in Hermine. Want a little bit of good news? Uh, U.S. jobless claims uh, in uh, have decreased by 27,000 to only 451,000 last week. Does that mean 451,000 people don't have a job? No. That means new claims. Last week, almost a half a million people showed up and said, I lost my job, need some unemployment. And this is supposed to be good news because it was forecasted to be about 480,000 roughly. Um, so what they're saying is less people lost jobs this week than we expected. Twenty seven thousand less people lost jobs than we expected. Well <laughs> folks, do you see what they're doing? They're trying to hold up failure as a success. I'm reading this that almost half a million people lost their jobs. They're reading this as 27,000 people didn't lose jobs. I guess those are saved jobs by things like the stimulus bill. I, 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 you know? and, and they're also saying this as though that those 27,000 people that skated by this week don't have to worry about next week or the next week or the next week or the following week. Until we actually start to see the real unemployment number come down, and even then I'm not sold because I told you I think that's eventually going to happen and it's going to be part of a false recovery and the biggest bubble you've ever seen in your life, followed by a recession that makes this one look like a joke, um, this is not good news. Just understand that. Understand that there is a huge PR campaign around making you think the economy is getting better. And it's far more about public relations than real numbers. Because when we look at real numbers, you know, this would be like, I want you to think about it this way. You go in and you're a salesperson. And your boss expects you to sell a million dollars a year. It's now September and you've sold a whopping 250,000. You ain't going to make your million dollar quota. And you forecasted that you were going to fail to make your quota. By 400,000 by the end of the year. You're only going to come in at 600,000. And then you go in and say, well, you know, actually, my new forecast is 620,000 in sales by the end of the year. Can I keep my job? Uh, No. No, you don't get to keep your job. You failed. That's what we should be telling our government officials right now. And honestly, we should be telling some of them on both sides of the aisle that. But anybody that tells you, The failure is a success. You need to be skeptical of everything else they said. And to those that think I shill for the right because I am more opposed to the party in power than the party out of power at any given point in time, and it just happens to be that way right now, Fox News said this was a good thing today. This was great news. Well, they're wrong. It's not great news. It's terrible news. Another half a million of your brothers and sisters throughout America are without a job. That's not good news. More bad news. Um, the United Nations is meeting right now to address food shortages amid predictions of riots. Poor harvests and demand from developing countries could push cost of, uh, cost of weekly shop up by 10%. I'm not sure what they're trying to say there. Basically, I think food prices per week, weekly shopping, they left the ING off, up by 10%. Let me read a little bit of this to you. Two years after the last food crisis, when prices surged by nearly 15% in the UK, food inflation is back. Soaring global food prices have prompted city and food industry experts to warn that the cost of weekly shopping is set to rise about 10% in the coming months. In 2008, rocketing prices are the result of as in 2008, rocketing prices are the result of rising demand and supply shortages caused by freak weather and poor harvest. Moreover, these conditions are exaggerated by speculation on commodity markets and changing diets in fast-growing Asian countries. Last week, the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO, Called an emergency meeting for 24 September to discuss food crisis in Mozambique. Riots broke out following the government's decision to raise bread prices by 30%. See, you think we have problems here. These people start starving when the price of bread goes up. Leaving seven people dead and hundreds injured because people rioted over food. At the same time, the Russian government extended its export ban on wheat by another 12 months as it battles drought, shortages, and inflation at home, which it threatens to push prices up further. European wheat prices hit more than uh, 231 euros, or 192 pounds a ton, last week, just below last month's two-year high of 236 euros, but still 60% higher than a year ago in sterling terms. Corn prices are at their highest level since June of 2009 while sugar has been on a roller coaster ride after hitting a 29 year peak in February basically what they're saying is you know what we're out of food some people in the world are gonna go hungry and that means it's gonna cost more will this hit you in your backyard this year no you might see the price of food go up a little bit all the more reason to store but we will not be rioting in New York City or Jacksonville or Atlanta or Dallas or anywhere else. Uh, this year because people are hungry. In a lot of developing nations, they will be rioting because people are hungry. If we look at that and go, well, that's there and not here, that is arrogance. That is a belief that we will always have the ability to make sure that we feed ourselves first. Let me go back to another story and show you how the seemingly unrelated are connected. U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said that our budgeting national debt... Earlier in this show, I told you that as a national security risk. What I didn't tell you at the time is one of the reasons she says that it's a risk is because it makes it impossible or less possible for us to do what we want to do, which is nice talk for force people to uh, let us get away with shit. Okay. In other words, through military might or economic sanction, the rest of the world sees this as a position of weakness and starts to say, well, you don't get to have control over what happens in this segment of the world anymore, because we know you can't afford to fight another war. We know you can't afford more. We know that you are slipping from your role of dominance and go screw. And to think that in the next 10 to 20 years, we can't see a shift with rising nations like China and India that have so many billions to feed, where they start to take over this control And while they have a rising interest in the developing world, especially the Chinese, this is something, you gotta understand this, when a nation starts developing third world nations, it's kind of a big brother, bad or good. It has a vested interest in making sure that those colonies, if you wanna call them that, are stable, and making sure that those people are fed. So the Chinese are getting to a point where they're not just gonna have to feed their Chinese people, they're gonna have to feed all these people in Africa, where they're buying oil and gold and farming interests. And they're going to start exerting their growing will on the global economic scene. And we are collapsing economically and losing our ability to fight that battle. Food shortages in the United States? Not now, but someday. Be prepared. That's what I'm saying. All you have to do is look at the writing on the wall right now, and there will be people acting as though this is some unbelievable event. How could this happen? I can't believe it's like this. Oh my God, how do we get this way? Blame the Republicans. Blame the Democrats. My ass. Blame everybody who's been screwing our economy since 1913. Go all the way back to Coolidge and all the way up to Barack Obama and everybody in there that's increased our national debt Everybody in there that's pissed away our inheritance gets some of the blame. It's up to us now to start taking steps to protect ourselves. I bet you thought I was going to say it's up to us now to fix it. We can try to fix it. I would like to fix it. I hope we can fix it. But I'm telling you, take care of yourself. Push yourself in a situation economically, energy-wise, safety-wise, protection-wise, Land ownership wise, commodity wise, tool wise, in every way that you can, put yourself in a position to deal with that collapse. Because unless radical changes are made, it's coming hard. And I believe at this point, even if radical changes are made and we go back on the right course, we're going to feel a lot of the pain anyway. We've gone too far. You know? If you, if you eat food until you're 500 pounds, And then you start to diet and exercise, it's a painful process to lose the 300 pounds that don't belong in your body. And you're left with scars and wounds. And you need expensive surgery to cut off the the expanded skin off your body. And sometimes when you go that far, it's too late. And your body shuts down and you die before you ever get the opportunity to go through the painful process. I don't know what's going to happen. I have never told you I know what's going to happen in the big picture. All I can see is the trend and tell you what I see in the trend and tell you to be prepared for it. And then there's times I've told you specific things that were going to happen because they were obvious and I knew. Like the economic collapse of 2008. I was able to tell you exactly it's coming, it's going to happen, get out now. But these are rare instances where we can have a clear vision of what's coming. All we can see now is a big mess. And exactly what it's going to look like, this is like looking at a storm. Right, right now, there's another tropical storm. I didn't plan this for the show, but I might as well uh bring it into the show a little bit because it's a good teachable moment here right now, much closer to the African coast than the United states north american south american coast, and our and our our barrier islands, is a storm called igor It's tropical storm Igor. It formed literally as uh the last remains of Hermine were turning into nothing but giant rain showers and thunderstorms. As one storm died, another was born. And it's sitting out there churning in the Atlantic right now, heading into warmer waters as it makes its way across towards the United States. This storm could become a hurricane and drop back down to a tropical storm before it reaches landfall. It could become a massive, and i got to tell you, I had this feeling with Ike, I just looked at it and something about it told me, and before it was even really predicted where it was going to land, I said, wherever it goes get out, this one's going to be bad I could feel it, I kind of feel that way with this one, but I could be wrong this storm's churning out there, and there's all these computer models. Some say it's going to go north of where it is, and it's going to, it's going to hit the Atlantic coast of the United States. Some say that it will turn northbound, kind of like the, the, the last one that came through did. Uh, was it, it? I don't remember the last one that kind of skinned the United States but didn't really go ashore and went into the North Sea and died. Um, some say it's going to do that. Some say that it's going to trend a little bit southward, and it's going to get into the Gulf of Mexico. And Of course, once that happens... It's got a lot of warm water to work with. It can really pick up steam, and it's somewhere in the Gulf Coast of the United States or Mexico, and those are usually really bad storms. We don't know what it's going to do. We don't know how big it's going to be, but we do know this. It's there. It's building. It's going to go somewhere, and it's going to cause somebody pain. That's how our economy is right now. That's how our global food supply is. That's how our station in the world is. We don't know exactly what the breakdown will look like. We don't know exactly how bad it will be. We don't know exactly how it's going to affect us. But we can see the storm building. We can see the bottom falling out. We can see the direction that the storm is taking. We can make a forecast and we can understand that this storm is big enough to affect us from sea to shining sea. And we need to be prepared. So there's a little bit of an analogy lesson. Let me bring in one piece of actual good news for you. Um, As I said in the introduction segment, there's been a lot of talk lately about the 2012 solar storms being the most violent in history and shutting down the electrical grid. Well, one expert says it's rubbish. Headline, Expert Rubbishes Solar Storm on ABC News. One report quotes Australian astronomers saying the storm is likely to come sooner rather than later. But Dr. Phil Wilkerson, the assistant director of the Bureau of Meteorology Ionspheric uh, Prediction Service, uh, says claims about the coming solar maximum will be the most violent in 100 years are not factual. All this talk of gloom and doom has selling power, but I'm certain it's overstated, he said. It's going to be far beyond what's realistic and could be worrying and concerning for people who don't really understand the underlying science behind it all. The real message should be that the coming solar solar maximum period could be equally as hazardous as other solar maximums. 11-year cycle. The sun goes through 11-year solar cycle, moving from a period of low activity called solar minimum to a time of heightened activity called solar maximum. During the solar maximum, there is an increase in sunspot activity where dark patches on the sun's surface caused by magnetic field lines break through the sun's surface. Because the sun is not solid... On a solid object like Earth, different parts rotate at different speed, which causes these magnetic field lines to twist and stretch, eventually snapping like elastic bands. When they snap, they produce an eruption of electromagnetic energy called a solar flare and are sometimes accompanied by a coronal mass ejection. If directed at Earth, charged particles with with the CME slam into the magnetosphere, resulting in northern and southern auroral lights. Previous CME events have damaged spacecraft, interfered with communication systems, and overloaded ground-based power grids. Precautions, Despite the potential threat, Dr. Wilkerson says authorities are aware of them and taking precautions. We monitor solar activity and issue warnings if something is headed our way, he said. That will be at least a few hours in advance, enough time to prepare. He says while some satellites could be damaged by future CMEs, others could be protected by being placed in safe mode. So apparently new satellites have a safe mode to deal with this. Dr. Wilkerson adds the impact on power grids would be minimal. At worst, it's a regional thing, not a global thing, as these reports imply, he said. He says high-frequency communications might also be affected, but that would be temporary. According to Dr. Wilkerson, the sun has been through long solar minimums and appears to be heading into a low solar maximum uh previous observations have shown this could result in high spikes of cme activity it means we could see a rural activity over all of australia rather than just higher latitudes dr wilkerson said it's unusual but not unprecedented james cook made mention of just such an event off of timor so basically what this guy's saying is yeah we're going to have some solar storms and yeah it could screw some things up but no it's not the end of the world as we know it get over yourself and go on with life I'm 80% on board with this guy. I'm like, let's still be prepared because we never know what the hell's going to happen. And science is a, you know, a history of being wrong more than right. Science once told us that the Earth was the center of the solar system, right, and the center of the universe. And science once told us lots of things that, that have been proven to be false now. But uh, these guys are pretty good at what they do, and this guy seems like he's got a pretty good pedigree and knows what he's talking about. And... uh I would be cautiously optimistic on this one. I would still be prepared to go without power. He says it could be regional rather than global. Great, as long as it's not our region, right? (laughs) Well, what if it is our region? Or what if it's a region of the world where it causes an economic crisis throughout the world because one region goes down? There's a lot of things going on out there. And what if a lot of freaks start freaking out around this 2012 thing and start rioting and being nonsensical. There's a lot of stuff to be vigilant about right now, folks, and this is just another example of that. But it is some good news. It doesn't look like the Earth will be swept away in a giant coronal mass ejection with the strength of whatever billions of atomic bombs the last article I read to you said. I told you that was a bit nonsensical. Uh, good to hear that. As I wrap up today, and I have no more stories for you, but this is what I want you to think about gave you a lot today. A lot of things that are seemingly depressing, but they're not really depressing, they're just real open threats. The key is, all of this crap has occurred in the last 48 hours. Every story I gave you was reported in the last 48 hours. Most in the last 24 hours. Asteroids with near misses of the Earth. The Secretary of State telling our President to his face, your spending is screwing us. Yeah, 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 these other guys did it. But now we have to deal with the current situation. And if we keep doing trillion dollar deficits, our nation is losing its power in the world. And you're putting us at risk. Because our power has made a lot of people pissed off. And when we don't have it, we become a target. The Secretary of State saying that Mexico has the potential to become Colombia. The difference? Mexico's on our border. We already have a massive immigration problem. What could that do? Forest fires destroying lives in Colorado. A no-impact tropical storm, if you listen to the media, up until yesterday, that destroys lives, ruins homes, kills people, and changes lives for the worse. Spawns multiple tornadoes right through populated areas of Dallas, Texas, and floods out people just a few miles to the west around low-lying areas. And more. I gave you more than that today. That's enough. All of that in a day. I would call yesterday a really bad day. You know, by the way, Pakistan is still recovering from massive flooding there. And again, we have a tendency to look at something like Pakistan and say, that's far, far away. That's not us. Well, it could be us, because it was yesterday. We need to learn these lessons, and we need to be prepared. Not with pessimism, not with hiding, with boldness, with optimism and with the belief that we can make our lives better today. We need to look at what our government's doing and realize we can try to fight it, but there's only so much that we can fight, and we need to realize the people steering this ship are incompetent idiots that say things like, there's no reason to worry about defaulting on our debt because we could just borrow more. That's like a person saying, there's no reason for me to worry about my MasterCard bill because I have a huge credit line still available on my visa. These things are happening. They're happening every day, and it's why once in a while, even though they're temporal in nature, and this might not be the most interesting show a year from now when somebody's listening to Backlog, you know, going back through and re-listening to the shows or just finding the show like a lot of them are timeless. I think it is timeless in its lesson. Because we'll be able to, a year from now, look at this show and say, what were the impact of all these things, and where are they headed now? And where can we learn about where we're going next because of that? But the big thing is I don't want anybody that listens to today's show thinking, man, it's really bad out there. I want you thinking, it's always bad out there. But it can always be good if I take control and I'm prepared. And sometimes things can happen that are beyond my control. But I can be prepared for them as possible. And I can be ready to take action. And if my house is being flooded, I'm not running into it. I'm going to stay out of it because I can replace everything in there. But I can't replace my life or the lives of my family. And that's going to be first. I'm going to protect them, and I'm going to make sure that tomorrow we wake up, that we're not laid to rest somewhere because we made a foolish decision. And I'm going to make sure that that tomorrow has optimism in it because I know that I control my life more than anybody else anywhere in the world. It's my choice that really matters. And with that, I'll sign off. This has been Jack Spirito with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.